you got a Bible, turn to Matthew, okay? Turn to Matthew. Hey, I've got some exciting things I'd like to share with you today. Um, I, yeah, I think y'all have come to know me. I think I've come, y'all kind of come to know me. Number one, I have ADD and I can't let anything pass. And, uh, but number two is I have a real passion for people to understand God's word because I went to church most all of my life. And I got some of the stories, but I really never, I really never got the point and the purpose. And uh, so I just have, I just, I just have a real passion of sharing God's word with people in a way that they can understand because I have found incredible things happen in a person's life personally when they can have an understanding of what God's word says. I just do. And, and, and there's no, there's really, it's a, it's, it's, it's going to prove that today. We've been in this series again, all right, what Jesus, what he came to do. Uh, and it just basically came out of something that I talk about all the time. Who Jesus is, what he came to do becomes the gospel message. Who Jesus is, what he came to do. And so when you look at that, we talked at Christmas time about who Jesus is and, uh, and a little bit about what he came to do. But this is the time of the year that we, that we talk about what he came to do. And uh, last week, um, several weeks, I, I shared with you, really at the beginning, I shared with you, if you want a good understanding of what happened at the cross, is that you get a good understanding of Passover, which became our Lord's Supper. But there's another, there's, there's something else too. It's a little more complicated. It goes a little more in depth, but there's, there's so much there. And, um, and it's, it's the Day of Atonement, okay? Uh, our Jewish friends today call that Yom Kippur, right? Perhaps you're familiar with it. It's in the fall. But the Day of Atonement. And <clears throat> we're going to look at that a little bit today. Well, we're going to look at it quite a bit. But it really is all going to focus on one thing. Last week, we talked about what happened at the cross. And basically, we shared with you, okay, just shared with you everything that Jesus said from the cross, because that showed us a whole lot of what happened at the cross. Today, we're going to talk about what the cross accomplished. That is, what, what is the big deal? And I, I, like, I like sharing this because I'm still convinced most people don't realize, you know. Um, you know, some historians will say, well, you know, Jesus was the leader of a religious movement, and he was martyred and whatever, whatever, whatever. So is what accomplished at the cross that Jesus just was a martyr that kind of, that kind of urged his disciples on to, you know, to, to keep up the cause? No. We all know that to be not even close to what Jesus said was the reason he was there and what he was there to do. And so I want to just be clear today. It's, the scriptures are very clear. Uh, it's only tradition that gets us off track. But the, you know, the, 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 the scriptures are very clear about what the cross accomplished and what difference does it make in your life. Uh, today's are going to be a couple of reactions. Number one, if you're a believer, uh, you ought to feel, you ought to leave today feeling very, very loved by God. I mean, uh, if you truly understand what I'm talking about. If you're not a believer here, if you're just, you're curious, you're, you're just here just to hear what's going on, or you're going to understand because it's, it's very clear today uh, what was accomplished at the cross, what Christ did at the cross. 
And I'm going to pick up where I left off last week. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 45. And if you want to follow along, I want to go ahead and start there. And then I'm going to start with what happened, and then we're going to back up and talk about it. Now, people talk about this, but, but very little is ever really shown to truly, to truly understand because it takes some explanation to understand Obviously, not just what happened at the cross, but what it accomplished. In Matthew chapter 27, now this is a little bit of, not review, but just reading verses we read last week. Because we talked about that Christ was put on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning. And then at noon, um, you know, the lights went out, right? And, uh, and that's where we'll pick up with Matthew 27. Let's take a look at it, if you will. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. And from the sixth hour, that is noon, that's the way they scheduled time, uh, there was a darkness over all the land until the night. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is interpreted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I don't have time to share with you today what that means. We talked all about it last week. And, um, you know, what was Jesus saying here? Uh, it was a quote from an Old Testament passage, Psalm 22, 1. And, but we explained all of that last week, so I have to be careful not to get caught up in, in, in where we were so that I, I have plenty of time for today to share with you. But after that, it says, and so, you know, some of the bystanders didn't catch on uh, to what Jesus was saying, but skip down now to, whether in, to verse 50. And it says that Jesus cried again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his, his spirit. And behold... The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, that's not as big a deal to you, uh, at least in our culture. You know, somebody tore the curtains, okay? Um, and it had to have been somebody tall, right? Like me. And we, we don't really catch on to even the significance of this. You know, I've heard people explain it, but usually, rarely have I ever, I've ever heard anyone explain totally what this means. Uh, people talk about it, and they talk about, you know, a couple of minutes to explain it, but I want to take the time for you to see today, because this, this veil, this curtain, whatever translation you want to use, that is torn will reveal to you what Christ accomplished at the cross and the impact it has on your life in a huge way. It will reveal it and show it to you. And so I'm going to have to go through some details, right? Okay. So if you're like me and you're not a big detail person, you're going to have to hang on with me because there's several ah type moments at the end if you'll hang with me through this. It's like, ah, got it. And that's my, that's my great passion. Because when I think when you see this picture, it's a great picture, much like, much like the Lord's Supper. It was a picture of Passover, and there's this, there's this incredible symbolism that goes between the two. It's the same picture here. So hang with me through the next little bit, okay? Now, number two is the temple. The temple. Now, what's the temple? Okay? In fact, the New Testament scripture says the temple now is resides in us, right? His temple. But this, this was a different picture. Um, 
when the, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they, and they went across the Red Sea and went to Sinai and, and you had the whole golden calf stuff, you know, and, and, and then afterwards, after they were broken and Moses went back up and got the law and they wrote it down and believe it or not, the law was fairly extensive. That is God's commands. And, but one of the great, one of the great things that God instructed the nation of Israel to do was to construct a building. And at the time, and for most of its time, it was, it was a portable building. It was one of those buildings that could be, could be set up and could be torn down and moved easy. And it was called the tabernacle. And eventually it became a permanent structure called the temple. But the two were the same, just so you understand. And so Solomon built that one. Remember, David wanted to, but Solomon was able to and built this picture. And I want you to understand that the temple, it was very important. And, and there's so much. There's just, it would take, it would, it would almost take a classroom setting, and I'd need about a good four weeks, maybe five, once a week, just to walk you through. And even then we wouldn't cover it all. But there's so much symbolism to this structure. And this, and the pictures that God is giving. Okay? So many times, you're going to see it today. Uh, so many times people, people love to take the things in the scriptures and, and religiousize them. But in reality, if you keep them in their perspective, like the tabernacle, they are just symbols. They're just shadows, as you'll see the book of Hebrews say today. They're just pictures of the real thing. They're not actually the real thing. Therefore, be real careful how you worship a picture as opposed to the real thing. Because it's incredible how some of these pictures can become idols, right? Because we're, we're basically worshiping religious, our religious things, as opposed to the reality of what they might represent. It's an interesting thing to think about. You'll see it all today. It's all here. In fact, that's why it's sometimes hard for people to catch on, because it challenges. It challenges us to understand his truth. Okay, good. So, so we have then this picture then of the temple. Let me talk about the temple. When, when they, and I'm just going to go ahead and talk about the temple as opposed to the tabernacle. But the temple was one that was a structure uh, that they built. And, um, and there were several temples. There was Solomon's temple. And then there was, you know, uh, there was Ezra, Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, that one that was rebuilt after it was destroyed. And then Herod built this big, this big one, and that was the one that Jesus was, uh, that, that he was talking about. But either way, you had this picture of this temple, and um, it, was, it was not as big a structure as you might think, okay? And uh, in fact, let's take a look. I have a, I have a diagram up there, and I've kind of told them to leave that up there until we start reading some of the scriptures. But I just want you to take a look. Again, this is not anything earth-shattering, but it just, it's perspective. And I think perspective really helps things. But you have, you have this whole temple court, right? That's the outer court, right? The bronze basin and, and all, of those, uh, all of those other things, right? But the structure itself is in the little square. Two-thirds of the temple itself were, was called the holy place. About one-third of it was called the holy of holies or the most holy, whatever you want, however you want to term it. But here's the picture. Remember, 
that this was, this was not a place that just anybody could enter. Only the priests could go in the temple. So your normal average person never went inside the temple. Okay? Because there was, this, there was this picture, you'll see it again in a minute, uh, as we read some of the book of Hebrews in just a minute. There was something that in this structure that for those who want to see it and want to know it, that teaches us. Now, as you see, there's a line between the holy place and the holy of holies. Now, the holy of holies was a place that was a, that was a representation of God's presence. Okay? God's presence. And then there was this big curtain or veil that separated the holy of holies from the holy place. Now, any priest could come in the holy place. But I think it interesting that only one person could go into the holy of holies. And only once a year. Anybody want to take a guess what, what that day of the year was? The day of atonement, Yom Kippur. That was the only time. And that was to make sacrifice for the sins of the people. So, this curtain that went across, okay, I just want to get, I want you to get a, a real good picture of what this looks like, okay? That's what makes these curtains awesome because it helps us. All right. I'm six foot four, so this is about 26 feet, okay? The veil in the temple was 50, at least. In fact, some, there are some distinguishing characteristics that they think even Herod built it higher. Again, I don't know. So, so we're not talking about curtains in your windows. But this, this thing was a monstrosity, and it probably weighed a ton. Because, they, you know, as I read Josephus, which is a historian of his time, he said it was purple, and that it was the one in Jesus' day, and that it was, it was as thick as a man's fist, or his hand. So we don't really know if he's talking about a hand, you know, from here to here or here to here, you know. <clears throat> but either way, it, let's say it was between four and seven inches wide. Okay? So that, that gives you a picture then of this imposing veil that was that tall. And of course, in the old, in the, in the early Old Testament, it was made of animal skins, uh, Many believe it became much more of a woven fabric by the time of Jesus' time. Either way, the symbolism is the same. Okay? What it represented was separation. Okay? It represented a separation from God's presence. And when you think about that and understand it, Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear dull that it cannot hear. But he says here, but your iniquities, that is your sin, has separated, you between, separated between you and your God. So there's a picture of then that sin becomes the picture of separation. Therefore, the veil has always been a picture of that which separates us from God. So when Jesus died and it ripped, it doesn't, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to pick up on what this is meaning, right? But it is incredible. 
Okay? When you think about when Jesus said it is finished, Father, in your hands, and then when he died, God actually ripped that thing from top. They said from top to bottom. Because when you understand how tall it was, there ain't any person that can get up there and do that. And so you have then this beautiful, incredible picture, right, that so many times very few people understand or even know. Okay? So you understand the veil and what it represents. Now, the other thing you need to understand, again, there's so much to this, there's just not enough time to explain everything. But I want to explain Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement to you. Because this whole curtain Okay, this whole curtain is about, is there for, I believe, a constant reminder, but also it helps bring meaning to Yom Kippur or to the Day of Atonement. Well, let's just break it down like I like to do, just so I know your understanding. What does the word atonement mean? Well, the, the word atonement, the way we use it, is pretty similar to the way, uh, the way it's used in the Scripture. To make atonement is to make things right. It is the process of making things right. If you have atoned, uh, you have to atone for what you've done. What you're trying to do is, is to make it right. Either for what you said or what you did and the damage you caused, you're trying to restore it. Okay? So the day of atonement is a day when you make things right. Okay? But here's the picture. And I'll, I'll read a little bit in a minute. But the picture, and there's a lot to this. There was... It was a week long, and nobody was work was allowed to work, so it was times of reflection for the common average person. And the priest, the high priest, went in to God's presence on behalf of the people. And so you have then, you have then this picture that only the high priest was allowed back there, and only once a year, and he brought a sacrifice because nobody was allowed into God's presence because sin has separated us, unless sin is done away with. Now, we already know that these sacrifices were nothing but pictures. They didn't really do anything. They were just pictures. That's why people today that worship the communion, the Lord's Supper service, they missed the very, they missed the big, they missed, they missed the boat. You don't worship that. It's what it represents, right? But it's incredible. But anyway, so, this high priest would go back, right? He'd go back behind here. And back behind here uh, in the Holy of Holies was a, well, several things, but I'm only going to stick with one is the ark, the ark. The ark of the covenant, right? You remember back in the 80s, Indiana Jones found it again, right? And so I'm kind of glad for the movie uh, because very few, none None of it's factual, obviously, except for the physical representation. They consulted rabbis and all kinds of stuff to make sure that the ark, as close as you can really know what it looked like. So if you've seen the movie, then okay, you got a clear picture. But in reality, it was symbolic. There was a lot of things in the ark, which we're not going to take the time to explain to you. But on top of the ark, the lid of the ark, was a place called the mercy seat. And uh, that is the place that the high priest brought sacrifice to. And again, I could do another whole one on the mercy seat. It's just all of it is symbolic. All, it's all there if you want to know. 
Okay? If you have ears to hear it and you want to know it's all there, I have found that God cloaks it a little bit so that, so that anyone who wants to know can know if they're willing to seek it. I think that's why so much in the Bible it talks about seeking and you'll find. Okay? And sitting, you'll just sit in the dark. Right? But seek, the promise of seeking is you will find. Well, it's there if you want to know. But again, let's just stick with just the one analogy, the curtain and it tearing. And so what would happen was on the Day of Atonement, a high priest would go in behind the curtain. They would actually, they were not instructed to do so so much, but they, were, they would actually tie, tie a rope to his leg that if he got back there and wasn't worthy and, and dropped dead, they'd pull him out so they wouldn't have to go in there and get him. I mean, seriously, I'm not breaking that up, okay? And so because there was an incredible reverence, awe, and fear of God's presence that seems to have escaped today, okay? And part of it is because of what Christ has done. We'll talk about that in a minute because I want you to see the impact it's made on you. Now I'm just explaining thoughts of what it means and everything. So, so let me explain just a few things then of, of, of what is Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19. The author of Hebrews chapter 6, chapters 8, 9, and 10, there are actually around three to four chapters in Hebrews that if you don't understand the temple or the day of atonement, you're going to be lost. And that's why a lot of times people don't read the book of Hebrews because it doesn't make sense. Well, look at the title, Hebrew, Jew, okay, it's for the Jewish Hebrew mindset, right? And you have to understand the Old Testament to even get a clue because it starts putting the two together. It's really a lot. Of, it's really pretty cool if you have a desire to know. So take a look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. It says this, uh, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. can't tell you how many Songs and hymns have been written about the anchor of the soul, right? But we'll move on, all right? And people get that piece, but here's a lot of times. It says a hope. So we have an anchor to the soul. That is something that's solid, that will hold on during the storm. It says a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now you know what he's talking about, right? Where Jesus has gone. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is telling us, the Jewish mind, hey guys, I want you to understand that the one who was to come, the Messiah, he was going to be able to go into there, right, on your behalf. Right? And so where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become our high priest, right? In similarities to Melchizedek, and there's just not enough time to tell you about that one. That's why, that's why the book of Hebrews can be a little bit difficult, but, but once you get all the, the pieces, it'll, be, it'll become one of your favorite books in the scriptures. It's just pretty remarkable. Okay? Now in Hebrews, let's, let's keep on down, just want to keep, keep reading them, reading different thoughts to you. In chapter 9 and verse... Uh, Let's see, chapter 6 we've done, chapter 9, verse 1. He says, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Now, 
Don't miss this. We've already shown you the little graph. He says, now even the first covenant. What's the first covenant? That's all this stuff. All the Moses stuff. All the Mount Sinai stuff. All God's commands. The earthly tabernacle, the earthly temple. He says, that's the first covenant. It had regulations for worth and an earthly place of holiness. What's he talking about? He's talking about that holy of holies, right? So what he's saying, he's going to tell us here, this author of Hebrews, is that all of that stuff were just symbols and pictures of a reality of who God is and what it means to be in his presence. It's a comparison, right? Don't believe me? Continue to read. For the tent was prepared, okay? Uh, the first section in which there was lampstands and a table, Okay, take a look at the table. The table and the bread of the presence. What are we talking about here? We're talking about God's presence and understanding what it means. It's called the holy place. And then after that, the second curtain, which is what we're talking about here, was the, uh, was the most holy place. Incense, right, covered, and all that, all those things that uh, all those things that go with it. Now take a look, and it just gives you just a thought. Uh, skip down now, if you will. Um, because he does say at the end of, look at the end of verse 5, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. I kind of feel that way. Okay, there's not enough time to explain all these things. I just have one point. So I know I'm leaving a lot out. But if I don't watch it, I can, get, I can, I can throw way too much detail at you and you forget or miss what we're trying to talk about today. And here's what I want you to see. Okay? Continue, look what he says here. Uh, verse 6, these preparations... Having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the intentional sins of his people. And then he goes on to talk about, by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for this present age. That parenthetical statement is why I read that which is symbolic, just so you know. The scriptures tell us these things are symbolic. So we should look at not only what they say, but what they mean. I just want you to see that. Because it's all there if you truly want to know. Okay, It's all there if you truly want to know. So the symbolism of it, pretty cool when you begin to think about it. All right, number three, just so you know, whenever I, whenever I prepare to share with you guys, okay, I always ask myself this question, so what? So what? Just so you know, okay? Uh, I have a little bit softer version of it, number three, what this means to us, right? Because I've found that there is a danger in becoming academically knowledgeable of what the scripture says and it never gets through into your heart and the way and who and who you are academic knowledge is a trap if your only goal is just to gain more knowledge but if you understand what it means the application how what this looks like what it means to us then it can really begin to have huge impact. Now, let's take a look again at more of the, uh, at, at more of the pictures uh, that I wanted you to, to see. 
Uh, take a look in uh, verse, chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, okay, so he's the, he's, he's the real one, okay, of the good things that have come, then through greater and a more perfect tent, not made with hands. So he's already telling you that this tent was nothing but a picture of something else. Not with made, made with hands. What did he say? Not of what? Not of this creation. That is not of the things that God created. He wanted you to know more than that. It says that he entered once for all into the holy place. Not by goats and calves, but by his own sacrifice. So the picture here is, is that these priests, this high priest went in once a year but he had to keep doing it over and over again. But it's going to tell us here, which I think is pretty interesting, okay? Look at verse 12. He entered what? Once for all. Therefore, it was done. When he went in, it was done. Guys, that's why we don't need priests today, right? We don't need priest. We don't need a high priest. We don't need priests. Why? Because we don't need anybody going to God on our behalf. Why? Because Christ has already done that. So it's been, when this is torn, when it's torn in half, you don't need somebody going. You can go yourself. Does that make sense to you? That's what it does for you. It gives you access to the God who created you in the picture of what it's sharing here, obviously. If the veil represents what separates us, then the ripping of it is tearing down what separates us. It's incredible to think about. It's powerful to think about. All right, I've got to, I've got to move on. I'm, uh, I'm going to skip down, guys, to, uh, um, to take a look in there, if you will, in, uh, in verse 1. Chapter 10 and verse 1. For since the law has been a shadow of good things to come, don't miss this, instead of the true form of these realities... Okay, now, this may, this may come as a surprise to you, but all that stuff, all the Old Testament stuff, all of the Moses stuff, all of the Mount Sinai stuff, all of God's commands, all of, all of the sacrifices, all the temple, tabernacle temple stuff, I want you to know, it says, they're but a shadow. I talked to you a couple weeks ago about shadows. What are shadows? Well, shadows are those things right? When a light hits you, depending on the angle of the light, there's a form, but there's very little to make out other than you can get kind of a picture. If you've only ever met my shadow, then I mean, you know a little bit, right? You can extrapolate by angle of light, maybe figure out how tall I am or whatever, but it's only a shadow. Pretty neat to think about too. Right. I can't tell you how many times I have to resist going off trails because I would love to go off a trail. The comparison of what we do know about what it's going to be. Okay, but I'm not going to. All right, but it's just a shadow of good things to come instead of the reality. Okay. All right. And it goes on to say in uh, in chapter ten. Um, by the same, well, forget it. it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. In other words, if you're counting in this, 
these rituals and religion and all of these sacrifices, it's not ever going to do what you want to do. Which is what? Draw near. What does it mean to draw near? Well, what it means to draw near is that is that the one thing all of us long for is to know the God who created us. Even those, even those who are atheists and hate God. I found out atheists are not those that don't believe in God. They're ones that hate him. That's just been my, my you know, because I've had a lot of experience. But understand this picture. We all have that longing. Why? Because there's this emptiness in all of us. That's why C.S. Lewis, because he understood a lot of this, that's why he called it the hole in the soul that can't be filled with anything else, and yet we try to fill it with everything else. And so drawing near means i got to get a way to get through this because there's a relationship with the God who created me behind it, and yet something is standing in the way. And it's this big, imposing, seven-inch thick curtain and even if I, if I go back there in my present state, I'm going to be dead because the wages of sin is death. So, and yet anybody that would long to draw near and to find what you're looking for. I had a lady come up to me after the last service. Jeff, I need a purpose like you're talking about. I said, yes, you do. Because everybody knows it to be the truth. I dare you to try to find a purpose, a point, meaning in this life. I had a guy tell me one time, oh, I can't really talk about that unless I've been drinking a lot. Well, God bless you. At least he was honest, you know. You know, so what good is drunk talk, right? You know, when you're trying to figure out why, why, why do I exist, you know. And anything you say, what brings meaning? Well, making a lot of money, family, whatever, whatever, whatever. Let me tell you something. The more you put into those things, the emptier you're going to find yourself. Why? Because that's not why you were created. There's a need that you have, and it's to have a relationship with the God who created you. And yet that becomes the point of the whole veil. I can't get there. All right, let's take a look. We're just about to be done. Just about to be done. Take a look now, if you will. Uh, verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ. Oh, are you kidding? So now we can have confidence? We can have confidence to walk back there? You mean, you mean I, can, I can actually go there? All right. You understand that? You understand what, the, and, and again, he's talking to a Jewish mind. They would never even think of going into the temple, much less walking back there. And it's by the sacrifice Jesus made. Let's continue again, just so you understand. Look at verse 20. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. Oh. So because of who Jesus is and because of what he came to do, I have a way to get through there. Not of my own, because I, I can't go through there. But in him, I can go through there. He's the, he's the door, right? He's the way. Maybe you've heard those things before. The truth, the life, right? That's all part of it. That I can, that I can actually, where is it? I can actually, 
I can actually get back here because of what Christ did for me. So then that gives me access to his presence. It is an incredible thing to think about when you understand why the, tur- why the curtain tore. God says, that's done. Nothing separates us anymore because of who Christ is and what he came to do. That's how it affects you, right? That's how it affects you. I don't know. I just find those things incredible. Let's read the rest of this before before I'm done. Look at verse 20 again. By the new and living way, he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. Okay? Perhaps that language has never meant anything to you before. Because I can't tell you how many people who have been studiers of the Scriptures for long times, and you read things and you just don't understand them. But let's look at it again. Draw near, true heart, full of assurance of faith. Ah. What does it mean to draw near? It means to go back there. But I'm afraid. Full assurance of faith. Right? Full assurance. What does it say? You can come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in time of, time of need. That's a pretty amazing comment. But why, how can you get there? There's only one way to get there. That's why John 14, 6 tells us when Jesus said, I am the way. He's the way through the curtain. No one comes to the Father but through him. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, our, our, our world will call you narrow-minded, but Seems to be the only door I found, right? Is you take a look at who he is and what he did. You see, guys, this isn't about you trying to make yourself better. The day of atonement is not you trying to atone. Why? Because you can't. It's, it's about him atoning, making the payment for you. That's what Pedalesti, you know, paid in full. That's what all that comes together in this one story of the day of atonement. Is it how are you going to get back there? How are you going to get back there? As I close, I just wanted wanted you to see it. To me, one of the great, because the great news, because the next couple of weeks, next week is going to be what happened at the resurrection, and then Easter Sunday is going to do, is going to be, hey, how that impacts us. But I want you to understand that you've got a, you've got a guy who opened the door, but there's another, something else. We don't serve this dead guy, Right? Because you and I have other things. We serve someone who overcame the wages of sin. Yes, he paid for them, but it's not enough to pay for them. It's it's being able to overcome them. (laughs) So next couple weeks is going to be that. You know, I had a guy come up to me one time. Nobody in here, I promise. But he came up to me after the service, it was, and he said, he says, you know, every Easter, all you ever talk about is death. And so obviously he only comes, I guess, on Easter. But, but <laughs> I got a question for you. How do you talk about the resurrection and not mention death? It's our greatest need, isn't it? And if he truly, he's overcome it. 
then is not that the greatest news you've ever heard? If truly he's overcome it. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. So as I close, number one, if you're a believer, you should feel loved. Well, the scripture tells us in John 3, that God so loved you is the reason he did this. To know that God loves you, the God who created you loves you and cares for you, is pretty powerful to think about. So I want you to feel, leave feeling that way. If you're not a believer today, then understand this is not a Catholic thing, a Methodist thing, a Baptist thing. This is just what you see it is. His, his message to you personally. And if you want to know what it means to be his, there'll be some people down here afterwards that love to talk to you. There's also some booklets out there in little stands called Got Questions. You can grab one if you want to take something with you. God bless you. Next couple of weeks, looking forward to it, you know, with resurrection and the impact it has on your life. All right? God bless. God bless. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. All right, David, yeah, come close us in prayer. Hey, if you're a guest with us today, hey, I want to have you just stop by the guest reception. I'd love to get a shake your hand and say hello. Uh, remember the Children's Center thing. If you still have them and didn't turn them in, you can turn them in on your way out. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Looking forward as we finish this series up. All right, David, why don't you close this? Thank you, Pastor. And also, as you've been hearing about the uh, Easter Sunday message, it would be a great time to invite some friends and neighbors. And there's some cards, some invite cards out in the lobby uh, just to the right of the fountain. You'll see them there. Just encourage you to pick up a bundle and uh, invite someone to our Easter services. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful picture today, this teaching that we can understand, Lord, that uh, uh, until you did that work on the cross, Lord, there was that separation. And as we accept personally uh, that work that you did for us, as we ask you to be our Savior, we realize that 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 separation has been torn down. We have total access to God to be able to have a perfect and holy and pure and personal relationship with a God who created us. We thank you, Lord, for that. And if there's one that has uh, uh, not experienced that in their lives, they can come speak with one of our deacons this morning at the end of our service here in the front. So, Lord, we do thank you for uh, what you did for us. Uh, that free gift that is ours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.